Hey guys, and welcome to the Money Podcast. You know, about 20 years ago, I made the worst financial mistake of my life. Along with two of my best friends, I opened a restaurant. Two of us put up the money. The third guy, an experienced restaurant operator, but with no money to invest, found a good location in another city and moved there to run the place. Guess what? We lost money from the first day we opened. In order to protect our original investments, we were forced to pour more money into the place, lots more. Eventually, I even moved to the city where the restaurant was to try to keep it afloat. No luck. After years of bitter struggle, and I mean bitter struggle, we had no more money to lose, we sold the restaurant. My losses, countless hours of labor, about $150,000, and both of my good friends. Yeah, since we went our separate ways, I haven't spoken to either one of them. When I reflect on that experience, it amazes me how little thought we can put into something before we put our money into it, especially considering that financial blunders can literally change when or even if you're able to retire, as well as what that retirement will look like. Now, fortunately for me, I had sufficient time and luck to overcome this screw up, and I was able to keep my retirement goals on track. But the point is, when it comes to your financial plans, especially when it comes to retirement, the fewer mistakes you make, the faster and the faster you fix them, the better. That's what this week's Money Podcast is about. We're going to talk about common retirement planning mistakes, how to fix them, and how to avoid them in the first place. I'm your host, Stacey Johnson, and I'm here with my co-host, Miranda Marquette. Hi, Miranda. Hey, Stacey. How's it going? It's going. And producer Aaron <laughs> Freeman is here with us, too. Say hi, Aaron. All right, let's stop making some mistakes. Yeah, let's stop. Let's stop talking about mine anyway. It makes me uncomfortable. Okay, guys, before we get started, our usual disclaimer. Should you hear the names of stocks or other investments on this podcast, that does not mean they are recommendations. You never invest based solely on our advice because we don't know you. Our advice may not relate to your situation. So get your own advice. Make your own decisions, okay? Now let's get back to the topic at hand. We're going to talk about 10-plus common retirement planning mistakes. Miranda? Can you lead us off with one? Yeah. So I think the first one to be aware of is to not assume that your retirement planning is all about that 401k. Um, a lot of the time people are just like, oh, well, I'm putting money into the 401k through my business, my workplace, and that's sufficient. Uh, and so it's not always sufficient. And uh, and sometimes, you know, what you have access to isn't uh, what you need. And on top of that, um, you know, maybe, you know, maybe you don't have, you know, a look at, okay, if you're planning on retiring early, where are you going to get your assets? If you don't reach that retirement age, and then you're going to have a penalty right from your 401k. So it's really important to to think about retirement planning in a more holistic way and not just assume that your 401k is the be all and end ball. So what I'm hearing you say is that my retirement planning doesn't begin and end with my 401k, because a retirement plan is exactly what it says. It's a plan. It's not just one account, my 401k. It's exactly how I'm going to spend my retirement years, you know, and all any number of other variables that are important. Is that what you're saying? Oh, yeah, definitely. 100%. Would you guys say it's the first place you should start? Sure. Yeah. I mean, the sooner you start saving, the better. I mean, correct me if you disagree, Miranda, but yeah, I think it's a good place to start having a 401k, but it's just not where oh, it's yeah. supposed to end. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think setting aside anything is important. So like if you have a job where there's a 401k, and especially if there's a 401k match, make sure that you are moving forward with that. And go ahead and do that, put the money in there. But while you're doing that, uh, make sure you take a step back, think about 
uh, that planning piece and figure out, okay, am I putting enough in there? Uh, should I use some other accounts? How do I bolster this? How do, how do I um, do my asset allocation? So there's a lot to think about there uh, rather than just like, okay, I'm automatically putting stuff into my 401k. Yeah. And I think, you know, another thing that's important too, dep it depends on your age. I mean, if you're 20, you should absolutely have a 401k or some other type of retirement plan working for you. But thinking about how you're going to spend your retirement years and where that income is going to come from and how long it's going to last and how you're going to invest, you know, blah, blah, blah. It probably becomes more important the older that you get, you know, but you don't just, when you start getting into your fifties or, or uh, your, when you're 60, uh, then you really need to start thinking about exactly, uh, there's a lot more variables besides how much you have in your 401k is the bottom line. Now, can I throw out another mistake? I, I'm always dying to use this. <clears throat> Calculators. First thing most people do, when they're trying to calculate how much they're going to need in retirement is use some retirement calculator that they found online. These are, are they useful? Okay. Maybe they're a little useful, but calculators can be very dangerous or dangerous. Just the word calculator implies a specific and accurate result. And these calculators like this, they're anything, but I mean, they're, they're asking you how much your savings is going to earn over the next 30 years. How much, how much are you going to have when you retire? How much are you going to spend when you retire? They're, they're asking you to know the absolutely unknowable. How, what's the inflation rate going to be during your retirement years? I mean, these things are critical, critical things to know, but you don't know them. And so these retirement calculators give you a false sense of security. I'm not saying you shouldn't use them. I'm saying you should take them with a grain of salt that's monster big. I mean, really. Nobody knows how much what your what their investments are going to earn. You can obviously you can guess based on what they've earned in the past. Nobody knows what the inflation rate's going to be. I mean, and these things, like I said, critical things changes everything. So be careful when you're using calculators. That's a mistake relying on them totally. Yeah, Agreed? and I think that's a, yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, I think calculators can be a really good idea to give you a starting point and to get you thinking about these things. Uh, but then once you have that starting point, you really do need to dig in a little bit more and uh, <laughs> and expand. Cool. Now, and now, Aaron is our novice investor, but that doesn't mean he doesn't know anything. For one thing, he's probably I don't know if you, if you started thinking about your retirement, Aaron. You're past. You're forty five. Is that what you are? 47? Well, yeah, I'm 47. And yeah, of course, we've been thinking about it for a little while because we, our big mistake was not thinking about it earlier. <laughs> yeah. So, well, and there's a mistake right there, actually, yeah. which is very common, not thinking about it earlier. It's hard. You know, it's easy for me. I'm 65. Of course, I'm thinking about retirement. I mean, it's pretty much all I think about when it comes to my investments. You know, I'm thinking about, how, are they going to last? Do I have enough? You know, blah, blah, blah. But when I'm 45, and retirement seems a long way away when you're 45. So, you know, that's, that's almost, I didn't really think about it that much. In fact, you know, to be honest, I haven't really thought about it that much now because I don't really plan on retiring. I love what I do, like what we're doing right now. I don't, I don't even plan to stop doing this. So yeah, I, I don't really think about it that much. <laughs> if you are going to quit working, you'd certainly need to think about it as soon as possible. Well, and I think too, though, it's, uh, I, I think it's less about, you know, retirement planning early on and more about like, are you investing? Are you growing your wealth? Are you working towards your long-term financial goals? And have you started thinking about that early on? Because uh, similarly, um, even though, you know, I have my retirement accounts, I have my retirement portfolio in, you know, in terms of, okay, I've got, uh, I've got IRAs, you know, all over the place, right? I, I've got the traditional IRA, I've got the SEP IRA, I uh, I've got the Roth IRA. So it's like, 
even though I have those accounts, I don't plan on retiring. Uh, similar to you, I like what I do. I enjoy my lifestyle. So I don't see a need to retire. Uh, but at the same time, like preparing, having other things, uh, investing in taxable accounts, investing in, you know, my HSA, these other tools and making sure you're thinking about those. So um, because retirement is changing, I think it's important uh, to do what Aaron implied is think about that early on, even if you're not looking at like traditional so called traditional retirement, you should be considering like, okay, what am I doing for the future? How am I preparing that? And am I building wealth? Yeah, and I think another mistake you could do is is um, not paying down your debts. Oh, that's that's awesome. I mean, that's very yeah. True. If you wanna if you wanna start getting into your, uh, you know, stockpiling cash or or buying uh, assets that grow in, in equity or being able to contribute to your four hundred one ks or whatever retirement fund you have, you have to make sure you squash your debt first so you have that extra cash. You know. Yeah, I think that's it. You know, here's here's something else that I encounter a lot too. I don't know how many mistakes we're on. Let's call this number four. Um, not realizing all the options that you have. I mean, when most people look at their retirement, here's what they do. They go, I have Social Security and I have my 401k. And that's true. These are things that you have that are integral to your retirement, but they're not the only things you have. You could also keep working. You could work a little longer. In other words, you can get 32% more Social Security by working till 70 instead of quitting at 66. Uh, you could also find a, a, a side gig that you really like. There, there are lots of options that you have. You can sell your home. You could do a reverse mortgage, uh, so you can you can tap into your home equity. There, there's a lot of different things that you could do that people don't really consider. There are a lot of levers you can pull when it comes to retirement, and they all play a part. So it's not just what you have in your savings account and Social Security. Uh, there's lots of stuff that you could do. You could try to find something that's really fun to do. I mean, if you want to retire at the first minute because you hate your job, that's fine. I don't blame you. But you might find something you like doing. I mean, you might get one of those little... Um, what are those things you, that you put on headphones? You go to the beach and try to find stuff buried in the sand. <laughs> I mean, you might find some hobby that pays a little money that's fun to do. So there's a lot of different things. That the point is, there's a lot of different things you might be able to do that will affect your retirement, other than just you know tapping your 401k and, and using your Social Security. And a lot of people think there isn't. You know, they just consider those two things. So that's a mistake. Got another one? Anyone? I've got tons of them. Well, give us give us another one. Um, let's see. You don't, okay, here's something important. I wrote a book called Life or Debt 20 years ago. I, re, I reissued it in 2010, 11 years ago. Anyway, point, one of the first points I made in that book was that every single thing you do has an effect on when and if you'll retire. So in other words, uh, you, go to this, you go to the mall and you spend 100 bucks on a sweater. Well, if you could have gotten by without that sweater, and put, there, this, is, this is called opportunity cost. If you could have gone without that sweater and put that money into a savings account earning 10%, uh, after 40 years, you'd have $700. And, that's, and if you can live on $700, that's a day closer, that's a day of retirement, the day of early retirement that you could have had. So everything that you do throughout your life, whether you buy a car new or used, whether you go for an expensive vacation or a less expensive one, every single thing that you do is going to affect when and if and how you retire. So in other words, every decision you ever make regarding money affects your retirement. And a lot of people don't realize that. They start to get, you know, they get to be 55 and they go, hmm, better start saving some money. But you know what I did? And in fact, you know, this is just applied to retirement. When I was a stockbroker and I started making a lot of money, this was in 1981. 
Um, my friends started buying Mercedes and fancy cars. I, I kept the same car and I kept the same house and I saved my money. And guess what I was able to do as a result? Start the business you're listening to right now. So little things that you do have, have ripples, like the butterfly effect. And that's certainly true with retirement too. So no matter how old you are, every decision you make is a retirement decision. Boy, this is not a good episode for people with anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't yeah, it's so, not preachy, but I mean, but I think I think I think too though we're we're getting a little bit. You know, one of the things that I like though is when Aaron talked about starting earlier. The good news is, everybody, the earlier you start, the more time you have to make mistakes and recover from them. So even if you make a mistake, you can still recover. Um, and I think that goes into like having a little bit of a plan, having a you know having some uh, some goals and some strategies in place that work for you. And even if you're a latecomer, even if you waited a little bit longer to get started. Um, you know, there are some things that you can do now, some catch up contributions you can make, some changes you can make to your lifestyle. Uh, you can you can move forward. You can press forward. Um, you know, don't let Stacy think that it's over. Don't let don't <laughs> don't let Stacy make you think that it's over. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, actually, you guys, just yesterday we were doing our recap of investing. Uh, you know, we do that every two weeks about uh, what we've done with our own money over the last couple of weeks. And I was saying in that podcast, I, I'm a reluctant gambler now. Why? <laughs> I'm 65. I just I started this podcast by saying when I was 40, I lost $150,000 in a restaurant. I wouldn't do that now. No way. You can't take that kind of chance. So like you said, you know, when you're younger, you can make more mistakes and have more time to make up for them. I, I would uh, suggest you make as few as possible. But uh, I'm not a gambler now, the gambler now that I used to be. And I think that's important too. Gambling is a mistake, especially as, as you get older and the money's going to be harder to replace. Also, I think the mis mistake too is because uh, we do podcasts like this. We have, we have a podcast where we're talking about our investments and things like that. And that can kind of get you caught up in a whirlwind of, uh, oh my God, everybody's doing stuff. I got to do stuff too. And, and um, maybe... Uh, try to relax on that a little bit and, and uh, stick to your guns about being smart with your money. You know, like, if well you, said, like you know, like you're, like you're saying, Stacey, you're saying, you know, Hey, the market's high, the market's high. I'm, I'm, I'm keeping cash on the side. I'm, I'm not, um, I'm a little bit uh, scared of it, you know? Yeah. And then you got me and Miranda are like, ah, you know, we, we just bought some penny stocks, you know, but uh, in reality, we are trying to keep ourselves in check though. We're not, overspending we're not trying to liquidate our, our savings yeah i was saying i was saying in that same podcast yesterday i was saying you know i've started being a much more active investor because we're doing this podcast and every two weeks i've got to tell you what i do with my money which it sounds you ridiculous you know? <laughs> it, it, gets, it gets you excited it gets you going yeah well but at the same time you know it, it's a mistake to overthink things right. too you know set it and forget it you know, like Miranda suggests often, you know, put put your money in, you know, dollar cost average into an S&P 500 index fund and don't stare at CNBC and try to jump around all the time, you know, because you'll end up losing. Uh, you can anyway by thinking too much. So that could be a mistake too. over managing. How about how about this? How about thinking about yourself versus other people? As we get older, here's some stats for you. Almost 30 percent of the U.S. population, people uh, over 65, are providing care for someone ill or disabled in their family or older in their family. Uh, also, 50, now listen to this, 52% of parents felt that it was more important to help their child pay for college 
and to save for their personal retirement. And, and you're in that situation, Miranda. You've got a kid about to go into college. Yeah, you know, yeah. You know that's a bad answer, though, right? <laughs> yes, I know it's a terrible, <laughs> a terrible, terrible uh, thing to do. Um, so yeah, and actually, I did. I made sure that I was reading my own retirement goals before I started putting money into my son's five twenty nine. Um, and so, uh, so you know, and I and I put a small amount of money in my son's five twenty nine, and gradually increased what I was putting into his five twenty nine as you know my finances changed, as I had that room to do that. But I did make sure that I was on track with what I was contributing to my own retirement accounts and my own goals before putting that into my son's 529. And, you know, part of that too is um, just like, just, just like, um, you know, your 401k is not the be all and end all to your retirement planning. Um, managing these goals holistically is not just about saying, well, I'm just gonna put some money in this 529 and then not talking about it with your kids. I have been having discussions with my son since he was in seventh grade about here are the expectations for what I will help you with with college versus what you need to to take care of. Uh, we've had discussions about four year versus community college to start off. Um, he's done research into, oh, here are some trades that actually will make me more money than getting a four year degree. So maybe I'm going to go and he's actually planning on going into a trade program this fall at the local community college. So all of these things, because, you know, he knew that Yes, there's enough money in that 529 to cover um, <laughs> to cover to cover full expenses for two years at a public four-year university. The remainder is stuff that he would have to get loans for. And so he went through that, thought about that, and we had these conversations ongoing. It's the same thing with your retirement planning and how you balance your retirement planning with other goals that you have. You need to have ongoing conversations and look at how all of these things work holistically. I've, by the way, I've got the perfect analogy for why you should always take care of yourself first. And I'm going to give it to you, but not right now. Because we have to go, <laughs> we have to do a quick commercial <laughs> break. And when we come back, I'll give you my analogy. See if you could guess what it is, Miranda, when, while we're in our break. We'll be right back, folks. Okay, here we are. Can you guess what my analogy is, Miranda? Oh my to gosh, take are you going to use yourself? Are you going to use the airplane one? Yes. God, you got it immediately. Go ahead, say it. Say it. <laughs> well, it's the old airplane one, right? When you're when you're on the airplane and they're telling you about like the safety features and everything, they always tell you put your mask on first, put your oxygen mask on first, and then help others. Because if you've passed out because you didn't put your oxygen mask on first, you can't help anybody else. That's right. Did I get that from you? <laughs> no, it's a very common analogy. We use it all it's the time. It's a good one. Though. And you know, point being, you can't take care of your aging parents if you're living in the car, and you can't take care of your kids. I mean, you know, you're, you're, you're going to move in with your kids after you pay for their college. You don't have anything set aside for your own retirement. They're not going to like that either. They have options. You don't. I have a question for Miranda. Yeah. On that five twenty nine thing, mm -hmm. would you say it's a mistake or not a mistake to talk to your child that you actually have that account created for them because in the future you have no idea what they're going to do. I mean they could create an app that makes a million dollars I mean so or they could decide not to go to school at all and do something else and go to a trade school and just pick up welding I mean you, you have no idea and as we're talking about <laughs> making sure you pay yourself first before you dump it all into your kids is it a mistake to talk to them that you're dumping this money in? Because they're going to think that this is my money. My parents have given me this money. Okay, so first of all, uh, I think it's hilarious because my son is literally going to trade school at the community college and picking up welding. So 
you know, nailed it. Um, <laughs> and fun fact, a lot of like accredited trade schools, you can use 529 money for those trade schools. And so we are using my son's 529 money for his trade program. So you can actually do that um, as long as the school is properly accredited and is eligible uh, from the Department of Education. You can check that out at the Department of Education. Uh, you can use that money for trade school. So not a waste. Um, so uh, anyway, but um but no, so uh, one of the things that um, I think is important about talking to them about it is they know that it's there uh, and my and making clear, like I've made it clear to my son, I'm like, hey, look, um, this is my money. I own the account. I have been very clear about that. Um, this is money I've set aside that is mine that I am using to help you. And I've been very clear. What isn't used will go toward because uh, recent laws now allow up to $10,000 of money in your 529 to go toward paying off your student loan debt. So I'm like, whatever money you don't use, I'm changing the beneficiary of the account to myself and using the money to pay off my own student loans. So, so I've been very clear about that. So I think a lot of people because we have these taboos around talking about money, aren't transparent with their children about what they're doing. Like they're like, oh, well, I'm putting it aside and now it's going to be a surprise or something like that. And for me, it's always been very transparent. This is the deal. And you need this information so you can make an informed decision about what you want to do. Great answer. And on top, yeah. And you can change beneficiaries. The beautiful thing about 529 is even after... Like my son's done leftover money. I use what I can to pay off student loans. I can still change the beneficiary again to one of my nieces or nephews. And you could also use it yourself, take more courses or yeah, you could or have more can, kids. You could have decide to have another kid. Uh, no, I can't. I have <laughs> actually made it physically impossible for me to have more children. That also is a financial decision we can talk about in a future episode. Um, <laughs> but no. But that's the beautiful thing about the 529. You can change beneficiaries to yourself, to others. You can use it for different purposes. Uh, but I do – I advocate being transparent with your children about money in an age-appropriate manner and continuing these conversations with them over time. Um, and it includes your retirement as well. If you have a partner, transparent conversations with your partner about how you are meeting those goals, how you plan to spend retirement. One of, one of the issues my ex-husband and I ran into – was uh, we both agreed that it was important to save for retirement, but we never had transparent conversations about what our life would look like, what different life goals we had for what our future would look like. And three or four years in, we were like, oh my gosh, we have different spending priorities, different lifestyle priorities. Neither of us was right or wrong. There's no right or wrong answer to these things. It's just they weren't always compatible. And if we'd been transparent and had these conversations about it, we'd have known. Well, it's difficult, and, and, you're, and what's important to you now can change. And as a matter of fact, uh, this is going to be my next mistake that I was going to bring up, too, not thinking through what's really important to you. And this is something I'm facing right now, because if you think about my dad, who was a great guy, he died many years ago, but he, when he went into a assisted living facility, he watched Fox News all day long, and it turned his mind to mush. Forget it's Fox. It's just news, whatever. But he had a giant TV because he could barely see. He was legally blind. And, and so he would watch TV all day long. And this is not how you want to spend your retirement, folks. And, you know, I, I, another stat. Adults age 65 and older spend three times more waking time watching TV than young adults. Three times more. And, and 
they enjoy it less, according to a survey. Uh, TV, TV watching among seniors accounted for 25 to 30% of their time, and they liked it less than younger people watching TV. Point is, it's really important to find something engaging and interesting when you're, when you're looking at retirement. And this is something that, and this will sneak up on you guys, you'll see. And it's one of the reasons I want to continue working. I happen to actually love my job and I own my company. But, you know, I think about this all the time. My wife is 20 years younger than me. She's not about to retire. She's in the prime of her career. What am I going to do? What is Stacy going to do all day long if he, if he stops doing this podcast or owning this business? What, what am I going to do with myself? What do I find interesting? Because I'll be damned if I'm going to turn my mind into mush by watching TV all day long. And that reminds me, and, we, and we're going to run out of time here pretty soon, but that reminds me of something else, too, that I, that I wanted to mention, is that I think a lot, a lot of people are afraid to make a plan because they don't know how they're going to spend their retirement. They don't know how much money they're going to make. They don't know what they find interesting, or certainly what they're going to find interesting 20 years from now. And so I think that people are afraid to make a plan that's, that's rigid because they're afraid they're going to screw it up. You know, you're saying, I'm going to have this much money by this day. And then what if you don't? Well, what people forget, and it's a mistake to, to not realize, that your plan is a fluid document. You're allowed to change your goals. You're allowed to, to love Disney World today and hate it three days from now. You're allowed to do anything you want, and you're allowed to change that plan. So not understanding that your plan is a living document, and you're allowed to change as often as you want, that's a mistake. Realize that you're allowed to change, and you're going to change. Uh, it, we, we're running out of time because we want to answer some questions. You guys have anything else that's important that we've left out? I think we've covered it pretty good. Let's let's answer some questions. You want to? Okay, let me see if I can dig them up here. Uh, I'm going to ask Aaron the first question. You ready, Aaron? Okay, lay it on me. This is, is from it? Kristen. <clears throat> Kristen says, "Hey, Stacy, love your newsletter and articles and podcasts." My almost 20-year-old son is trying to be financially responsible and build his credit. He's doing well so far. He's raised it to over 600. That's really not all that well. Um, not sure where he's at right now, she says. I was wondering if it would be a good idea to have one of our utility bills put in his name and have him pay it, of course, so that when he moves out on his own, he'll have a record of paying a utility bill and won't have to put down a deposit for utilities. Will that also help his credit score? So we'll let him, bottom line is, will paying utility bill help his credit score? Um, Kristen, thanks for the question. Let's see. I did some digging, and I didn't come up with where utilities actually report to any credit agencies. Um, they will report if you if you don't pay. Right. Yes, that's you know, true. If it goes to collections. Ding, yeah, if it goes to collections, <laughs> they'll definitely ding you. Um, it, there are three reporting agencies, obviously, Equifax, TransUnion, Experian. Experian has one called Experian Boost, where you can actually uh, link your utility bill and maybe your phone bill, and that will help you kind of boost that score a little bit. But the thing is, it's only going to boost Experian score. It you know as long as you're paying on time, it's not going to boost Equifax or TransUnion. That is um, free though. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but doesn't um, doesn't help a whole bunch. But it does, doesn't help a whole bunch. Nothing. I don't know if you guys agree with this or not, but I think kind of uh, it, you should always go for like a simple way to, to do these things. And uh, what I would do is if I'm buying groceries every week, I would try to find a credit card, a rewards credit card for groceries and have that credit card under my kid's name. And if they're young and you just want to boost the credit score, just 
pay that sucker off all the time. And uh, the biggest thing to crank it up is uh, the credit utilization rate, right? I mean, it's the... Yeah. Well, there, there's the, a lot of things you could do. You can get a secured credit card where you put up a deposit in a savings account. And then you can, so you put up 500 bucks in a savings account and you've got a credit line for 500 bucks. Those well, are that's given the key to the credit line, and that's, you know, you're you're expecting him to pay it. But I'm just saying as a parent, if you're trying to help that kid boost his, his credit score, you know, my suggestion was that the parent just pay for it, make sure that it's under his name or her name. Yeah, well, you know, another thing you could do, too, is you could make the kid an authorized signer on your account. That means they share your credit history, and that'll help their credit history a lot. Um, now, if you're if they're an authorized signer, you're, you're probably imagining this kid is running around with your American Express gold card and charging all kinds of stuff, not paying the bill. But what you can actually do is make them an authorized signer on your American Express card, but not give them a copy of the card. So they, they can't right. really buy anything. I mean, they may have the, you know what I'm saying? That, I mean, if they're horribly irresponsible, you may not want to do that. But, you know, so there, there's something you can do too. Oh, by the way, too, Aaron, I don't know if you saw this, but there's there's another program, hardly worth mentioning, actually, but there's another program from credit.com called Extra Credit, uh, which basically does the same thing as the Experian, Experian Boost. Uh, get your rent and utility payments added as new trade lines on your credit report. That costs 25 bucks a month. That's why I said it's hardly worth considering. I wouldn't pay $25 a month to have my utility bills uh, at, you know, reported to the credit reporting agencies. Right. The main thing, though, is keeping a low credit, credit utilization rate. I mean, that's that's actually going to give it the biggest boost of all. That's why I was trying to figure out, like, well, yeah, but you've got to have, have a, credit a first. Big, I mean, you've got to have a credit. Well, it'll build, yeah, it'll help build credit. Yeah. You've got to have, have your credit limit. If you've already got right. a credit, you've got a ten thousand dollar credit limit. You want to keep the you want to keep the amount you borrowed under th three thousand thirty percent credit utilization. Uh, but we're talking about somebody here who doesn't have any credit. Uh, what, okay, what's our next question? All right, this one is from Bridget. It says, "I'll be sixty five in August and plan to continue working full time in local government for at least the next two to three years. My medical coverage is excellent and the cost to employees is low. Since I signed up for Medicare Part A, I continue to get mail encouraging me to sign up for Part B, so I won't face a penalty if I sign up later. I just cannot understand the point of paying for Part B now when I have great medical insurance. Will I be charged a penalty if I sign up later?" Absolutely not, Bridget. You can sign up later. My, my father-in-law, Howie, he has really good medical insurance from his wife, my mother-in-law, Irene. She's a school teacher. Um, so he's 74, I think. He's still, he has, everybody should get A because A costs nothing. A, a is a hospitalization. So when you're, when you turn 65, whenever you're eligible for Medicare, go ahead and get Part A. But don't get Part B. That costs money every month. If you've got good insurance, there's no reason for you to go to, to get Part B from the get-go. Now, however, here's what's important. Do get Part B if you don't have any other coverage and do get Part B immediately if your coverage stops, whatever source that is, either your spouse's insurance or your insurance, as Bridget has. Um, so when it stops, be sure and get it. Now, you've got an eight-month special enrollment period that starts when your employer or union coverage or whatever ends or you stop working. Okay, so you've got eight months to sign up for Medicare, Medicare Part B. Why is this the deal? Well, it's simple, because since Medicare can't turn you down, everyone would just not get Medicare until they had a health problem. You know, they'd wait till they're 80, and then when they get cancer, you know, then they, then they sign up for Medicare. Well, that's not fair, because you haven't been paying premiums all this time. So what they do is they make you go ahead and get it, unless you have coverage elsewhere. So I hope that makes sense, Bridget. You can keep your coverage as long as you want. Just make sure that when eight months of uh, the time that you stop working or stop getting covered by your employer, that you go ahead and apply for that Part B. No problem at all. Okay, this is from Kirk. Kirk says, as I am now retired, therefore on Medicare, what are my risks traveling outside of the United States? 
Typically, when employed, my health insurance provided a level of coverage for my time on board a ship or in the Caribbean, etc. Now, as cruising slowly reopens, I'm worried not only about the cruise line's handling of COVID-19, I'm vaccinated, but non-vaccinated cruisers, the ports of call, and their COVID-19 vaccination rates, and then ultimately how it all ties back to my insurance coverage in the event of problems. So, must I, for traveling moving forward, buy expensive and limited travel insurance? What other options are there for anyone who wants to travel again? So in other words, he's, he's saying Medicare won't pay. So what's he supposed to do when he travels outside the country? Yeah, um, I got bad news for you, buddy. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> uh, I mean, he, he mentioned he mentioned a, a few things uh, such as, you know, there is some limited if a medical emergency occurs um, while you're like on a cruise ship. Uh, you can actually get uh, you you may get coverage for medically necessary healthcare services um, as long as you're in the t- territorial waters adjoining the land areas of the U.S. Um, but once you're six hours away from a U.S. port, then it doesn't matter. Um, you're not getting Medicare is not going to cover those those ship those those costs. So. Um, you know, I mean, do do recognize, though, that Puerto Rico, the Virgin Islands, Guam and American Samoa, as well as the northern Mariana Islands are all considered part of the U.S. So if you're traveling to those places, uh, your Medicare coverage is going to work. Uh, you can also get a little bit help with um, with some of your coverage if you are having a medical emergency and uh, immediate medical attention is needed and the closest hospital um, like in Canada or um or or Mexico is closer that that can treat you is closer. So like if you're living in the border or something, but you got to be living in the U.S. for this to work. You got to be living in the U.S. and the closest hospital might be in Canada or Mexico. You can go to those to get to take care of the issue. Uh, and then there's also an exception for like if you're traveling in Canada and you can't get to Alaska. So um, so there are some exceptions there. But for the most part, yeah, you're either going to get uh, you're going to need a medical travel, a uh, travel medical policy, or you're going to need to get Medigap. So there are some Medigap policies that cover travel outside the U.S. So you are going to have to look into those and you want to make sure that you're specifically looking for travel medical coverage. And if you're looking at Medigap, you need to make sure that you are covered for, um, you know, medical care outside the U.S. So and not, not yeah. all those policies have that coverage. Yeah, not all Medigap co- policies have that coverage. Um, and you also have to make sure that when you're getting that travel insurance, because there are different types of travel insurance as well, right? There's different there's travel insurance that that'll protect you if you have to cancel your trip due to illness, but not cover medical. So you need to make sure that when you're getting that travel insurance policy, um, it does in fact cover uh, medical costs and you know visits to the hospital, dialysis, doctor visits, ambulance services, whatever you you know think that might happen while you're abroad. You want to make sure that insurance policy covers that. So yes, but Medicare is probably not going to cover it. Uh, The exceptions are so limited. Uh, Like I said, as long as you're not six hours from a U.S. port and you're cruising, then you should be okay for on-ship medical services, right? So if they help you on ship and you get those services while you're on the ship. Now, if you are if you are in the Caribbean and you put in at Jamaica and you get off the ship and you are treated off-ship that might be a different story. But you you wouldn't be covered. Yeah. 
Exactly. Yeah. So, so really kind of take a look at that and, and, uh, think about your needs, but yes, there's a good chance you need to look for a travel, uh, medical travel insurance, a travel medical insurance policy, or look into one of those Medigap policies and double check to make sure it covers travel. The bottom line is if you're going to, if you're going to travel, get travel medical insurance, if you're on Medicare uh, and make sure you're getting travel medical insurance, not just travel insurance, not, you know, not, not something that pays yep. you back if you can't go on your vacation because of a hurricane this is specifically for medical expenses and by the way one place i've i've looked there's i'm sure there are lots of them. i'm not trying to uh pump any one business but insuremytrip.com is a place where i found stuff like this before and so you can see because they, they they'll show you several different types of or, or issuers of these policies and just be sure to read the fine print and understand what's covered <laughs> okay guys we, we are going to close it out today we're out of time but we're never out of topic you know that dig deeper you're going to find links to lots more info in our show notes and remember if your goal is to make more to spend less to retire rich your online home is moneytalksnews.com and don't forget to check out Miranda's online home as well that is Miranda Marquit m-a-r-q-u-i-t.com if you've got a question comment or topic you'd like to suggest we'd love to hear from you Email us at hello at moneytalksnews.com. That's hello at moneytalksnews.com. And one last thing, if you appreciate what we're doing, do something for us. Subscribe to this podcast and tell your friends about it too. It only takes two seconds to subscribe, but it really helps us. So if you like us, show us. Subscribe and tell your friends about us. I'm Stacy Johnson. And I'm Miranda Marquette. Knocking down one mistake at a time, Aaron Freeman. There he is. Thanks for hanging out with us, guys. We're going to see you right here next time. <laughs>